Rebel Goddess Reclamation was born out of the desire to celebrate the sacred feminine. You can look forward to goddess myth and storytelling from all cultures, interviews with inspiring rebel women, and learning about nature-based Sabbaths and any other goddess-loving sexy content that floats the boats of your two founding sisters. We know that in recognizing the radiance in others that we are recognizing the radiance in ourself. As rebel women, we empower ourselves and others without apology or harm, aware and in awe of our united potential. We welcome both the delicious light and exquisite shadow, knowing that this paradox is the source of sacred power. With the wisdom of our ancestors and the hope of all future descendants, we release that which does not serve and manifest that which does. We lean into the unknown with grace, making our own rules and then breaking them. I am your dark sister, Sam. I am your red sister, Sarah. And we are Rebel Women with Teacups. If you're here for just the goddess story and want to skip the tea review, we'll see you at 7 minutes and 20 seconds in. Hello, love. Hi. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for asking. Okay, so the tea we have today yes. is called Sleepy Hollow Tea. Yeah. From... The, the enchanted candle apothecary again. Mm-hmm. And this is um this is one of Misha's, the owner of the apothecary. It's one of her favorites. It is a caffeinated blend, rich in iron and potassium. And her flavor profile and composition is that it is dark and intriguing. This black tea with a subtle sweetness complements up the black currants and black currant leaves. Just as exciting as the story, Sleepy Hollow Tea is sure to enthuse you. Mm. So uh, looking at the dry. I... Oh, yeah. Hold on. <laughs> it's actually very small. Yeah, it's very small um, pieces. Hold on, let me smell it. Mostly tea leaves. It smells red to me. If red can have a color, that's what it smells like to me. If red can have a smell? Thank you. <laughs> that makes more sense. Oh, it does. Right? It Doesn't it smell well, red? Yeah, the currants, probably. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what it is. Do you know... I just want to share that in my head, my microphone was a straw, and I almost leaned down <laughs> to sip it, to drink out of my straw. That's so funny. It smells a little bit like berries. It does, like Very strawberries. Much like berries. Yeah, yeah, and it's mostly. Um, it looks like mostly tea leaves, really, really yeah. tiny little bits. Yeah, and it's really dark. It's a beautiful dark, like. It's quite lovely looking. It's like that dark richness that that you want to decorate your house with on for for Halloween. Yeah, like a black. Yeah. <laughs> like very it's a very sensual color. It it smells like a berry candle to me. Like if you were to get a black currant candle maybe. Okay, so mine's in a tea ball and hers is in her tea infuser. And it is such a deliciously dark color. It is. It's a really really dark black tea. Dark, 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 dark brown. Cannot see the tea ball at the bottom of my teacup. Yeah, it's like a – even though it's called Sleepy Hollow, it's very much like a summer smell. Yeah, because the, the fruit scent is like astringent. It's very bright. Mm, yeah. Okay, so you do your first sip. What I do you did. think? I like it. That teacup looks so good on you. I know. <laughs> it's so cute. It's the, uh, the red flower teacup. You'll see it on our Instagram. Oh, okay. That's nice. Mm -hmm. It's simple. Uh, it it's, is. Okay. It's not a lot of um, things fighting for the, the the foremost taste. Yeah. Well, and I think with the name, too, I was thinking um, like like the fall flavors. Totally. But this could – it could really be more like you could ice it and yeah. sweeten it and make it an iced tea because it tastes like a black tea with – with like a fruity undertone and there's almost like some vanilla-y, like a creamy. Yeah. This would be absolutely lovely as an iced tea. Mm hmm Like sun, sun soaked and then poured over ice after a long day. Mm -hmm. Oh, that would be lovely. I think I would enjoy it with cream very much. Like uh, like strawberries and cream or something. Oh my God. That's so yummy sounding. <laughs> mm. 
that's the nice thing is like when you're newer to like I, I you know I've drank tea like it's whatever but I've not really immersed myself in the idea and the history or the know-how of tea so it's really nice to be exposed to the to the what ifs and all the possibilities like you like it it wasn't until this year that I experienced tea with cream in it. Mm. And I know that's a wildly popular thing in England and in a lot of other countries. Um, but oh. it wasn't until this. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought for a second that I didn't actually hit record. <laughs> I did. It's okay. Fine. We're good. I was going to say, damn, this was so good. <sighs> it's okay. It was like, keeps you on our toes. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so it's wildly popular. Yeah, in yes. Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like I wouldn't have thought about it being considered like a strawberry creamy kind of taste in the mouth, and I think that's mm. so delicious. It's so fun. Yeah, it's a nice black tea too. It doesn't have. Um, sometimes black teas can either be like too malty or um or like bitter or like leave a then aftertaste in your mouth where your mouth feels like dry. Mm. Um, but this doesn't. This is nice. That's nice. Yeah, I guess I didn't really know what currants tasted like. Yeah, I don't think – I don't think I – and even if I've had something that was current-esque before, I don't know if I've ever paid attention to it. It's nice that this alone is making us very aware of what teas – or what tastes are in our mouth and what yeah. smells are in our nose. Uh-huh. Like this is very much a beautiful embodiment of – ceremony and being literally in this space yeah mindfulness practice yeah of the senses for sure mm, so and even yummy. the sounds the sound of like the the teacup like clinking together i love it so much <laughs> yeah this is good mm-hmm. yeah we don't have any i feel like if i put cream in it i'd be like 10 out of 10 I could drink this regularly in the morning, though. I could totally see that. Mm, that's and I, nice. I like how dark it is. That makes me um, – that pleases me very much for a morning tea. <laughs> <laughs> so our uh, content, aside from the tea today, is – the topic is winter solstice yeah. and Yule. Yes. You want to kick us off? Well, yes. Yeah, so I'll I'll kick you off with what the what the concept or what the idea why it is considered the winter solstice. So the winter solstice for the northern hemisphere is the shortest day of the year. So we have the most nights. So the sun sets its earliest for us in the northern hemisphere as the winter solstice. So and vice versa, in the southern hemisphere, it is their summer solstice. So it is their longest day of the year with their shortest night. So when we experience summer solstice in the in our summertime, it's their winter solstice. And it's so weird to think about that because, you know, we live in our own little world and we think everybody experiences winter at the same time, but we don't. And I didn't realize that until adulthood. So yeah. when I was, um, when Instagram was first new and we were first scrolling through, I saw someone in either Australia or New Zealand, they were like, oh, it's the beautiful, like, dawn of the summer. And I was like, what? It's wintertime here. So, and it was like, oh, there's other people that exist outside of us. Yeah. But the reason why we um, experience a shorter night of the year is because our it's the way that we're positioned on our axis has shifted to where we're further away from the sun. And so – when you think about it, when summer solstice kicks off, it is the introduction into our nights getting just a little bit and just a little bit and just a little bit shorter. We don't even really, we're not even really aware of it until we get into more of the classic fall and winter months because we're naturally moving away from the sun. And so we're getting darker earlier, even before our time change happens, where we fall back in the summer, we still notice that natural, okay, it's not staying light until 930 anymore. It's more nine, and then it gets 830. And you know, it just Mm -hmm. naturally happens. And um, if you, you and I didn't realize this until until I started spending time in um, a studio space that has this massive wall of windows that throughout the year, and if you're not in tune with this, or if this isn't just something that you're um, connected to, you don't realize it until it's like presented to you. And then you realize that in the springtime where the sun is sitting in the sky at its highest point in the day, you can literally see the difference from spring, summer to fall because of the way like this window just made me aware of how lower the sun is getting in the sky during its 
during the seasons until it's so low that it doesn't even appear like it should for a three-ish day period it's almost like it disappears completely yeah, for three days literally making a descent yeah. down the sky yeah. because in the summer it rises higher and then when you get towards the winter it's like the the arc isn't nearly as high and yeah. so i mean it casts shadows differently and everything but it's it's like the whole half of the year is like we're chasing light and the opposite half of the year it's like we're chasing the darkness yeah yeah and it's really cool once you're presented with um like you know, we don't know about things until we know. And then it's we become more aware and we become more um, aligned with those things if it feels good inside of our body. So, um, for example, the example that I want to give is that the first time I experienced a week long training in this space, um, it was the it was the end of August and the sun was shining into the room every day at a certain angle to where somebody for like two hours that day oh. was going to get blinded. Do you remember that? Where yeah. everybody was trying to avoid. Right. And then when... Because <laughs> you didn't want to sit in that spot and yes. circle, but you also didn't want the spot right next to the teacher because then you'd have to be the first one to share. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So then the next time I was in that space, it was, um, I don't know, sometime... It was sometime in October, I remember that, or going towards October. It was something like that. And I remember specifically going, I don't, for, don't forget to not sit in this particular spot. And then in that particular spot, nobody got blinded by the sun. And that's when it first hit me. Oh, oh the shifts of the sun. Duh, that makes sense. So that was the first time that I really became aware of the way the sun shifted in the sky. Like I always knew it happened, but I was never aware mm -hmm. of how it looked in the sky. So mm -hmm. I thought that was so interesting. Mm-hmm. It also too frames the uh, winter solstice as like a celestial event. Yes. And uh, it like brings us out of, you know, like us experiencing this one thing in this spot on earth right now, but like the, the cosmos, what the cosmos are doing in relation to us. Yeah. And then, you know, the paradox, earth living in sweet little paradox all on its own, right? Because yeah. it's lower on our end, which means it's higher on the opposite side of the earth. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> But so winter solstice is obviously different than Yule, yeah, right? Because so Yule is like the the pagan celebration that happens around the time of the winter solstice. Yes, yeah. Um, the biggest – well, I will say when it comes to the, the winter solstice is the celebration was the welcoming back of the light. So a lot of things that kind of represent – or well, a lot of places, a lot of countries – this is the craziest thing to me. Like we all know that this happened, but to think – to think that all over the world, before the world even knew that the other part of the world existed, we have very common celebrations. Like that's mm -hmm. that's just that inherent like knowing inside of our bones that there a needs to be community, and that um, we're that these people, our ancestors, our primal ancestors, were watching the skies and making life be a part of it. Like that was inherent that our life had to be in in um, side by side with the stars and the moon and the sun and all of these things that we couldn't even imagine being able to to reach. But we lived our life by these things because they were constant. They were constant things that happened. Yeah. Everybody knew when the solstice was. Everybody knew Everybody. like when the next full moon was. Yeah. Because they were living in rhythm with nature. Yeah. Because – and I mean, you know, with the cultures so far apart on, on planet Earth, but then still recognizing the significance of these celestial events with, with the same amount of reverence is like this collective consciousness, yeah. right? Like the same way the bird knows how to build the nest without any mom bird teaching it. It just grows up in a nest. And yeah. then it's like, oh, I know how to make a nest, right? Because it's like it's in their it's in their DNA. It's, you know, like you said, ancestral, ancestral wisdom being passed down. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there was always some type of celebration, in, in um, including lights. So a lot of um, cultures would build their own little lanterns and they'd have a lantern festival or they'd have a massive fire and there would be days of celebration and gift giving and food and feast and um, especially in the cultures where it was going into the hard, long, cold winter months, this was like the final heave-ho um, to celebrate the long, hard work of sowing and harvesting, growing and harvesting all of your food. So this was a celebration of of those things and knowing that the next few months were going to be hard, 
but that the sun was coming back. Mm-hmm. So little things like um, um, citrus slices were used as a symbol of the sun mm. and it was hung as an, uh, you know, an homage to say, we know that you're coming back and, you know, we want to celebrate that fact. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you were in those cultures and those civilizations way back in time, even though they tracked the stars and they knew about the cycles of earth, I'm sure there's still this like deep seated, right? If you're living in darkness through mm-hmm. the coldest, you know, through November and December and um, what some people might say midwinter, depending on how on how mm-hmm. their seasons are falling. It's like, do you have trust that the that the light will come back? Yeah. Because that's that's when things get hardest. That's when people are starving. That's when people like may or may not make it through the winter. Yeah, and uh, that's also when they, uh, depending on the culture, they would slaughter a whole bunch of their livestock because they either had to make the choice of am I going to feed all these animals through the winter and then keep them living for the next year, or we slaughter them now and then we don't have to feed them and worry about maintaining them and keeping them warm through the winter, and then we get to feast on them. So that was part of the celebration feast as well. Was you know you have all these slaughtered animals and now you have to eat all the food. Yeah. So how does Yule fall into this? Um, so Yule, okay, depending on on where you want to start with the traditions. Um, so I'm going to start with the Norse traditions and Viking and Odin, who is sometimes known as um, the god of Yule or the the deity that is bringer the bringer of Yule. Um, and he rides, which I didn't know this, but he rides an eight legged steed. Oh. Yeah, pretty right. intense. So Odin is typically the god of war um, in Norse and Viking traditions. And it, with Yule, he would ride um, – it's called the Wild Hunt. It's the Night of the Wild Hunt was the original Yule. Uh, and he would ride across the sky um, with his eight-legged steed, and he would terrify anyone who was out – on this wild hunt night, but he would also give gifts and candy to kids, very much like Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And then kids would stuff their boots with straw for the steed that <laughs> that he was riding. Oh, that's so um, I know, isn't that so sweet? Yes, yeah, so, and so that's that's kind of I feel like where Santa Claus and his reindeer came from. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and there was the Krumpus too, not necessarily attached to Odin at all, but that's more um, more German, who was like big, scary demon, half goat. Like it was like half animal, half demon that would terrorize little bad kids and then they wouldn't get any gifts as um, St. Nick's counterpart. It's so interesting the way things started and then, you know, the way things are now and also how much people don't know about the origins. We just take whatever's given to us as as what it is, you know. Um, and so Yule is uh, traditionally right around the solstice and winter solstice is typically uh, December 20th and 21st. Does it go into the 22nd too? Um, it, it I've read that it's more in the 21st to 22nd okay. range. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it's going to be different depending on each year and, and what the stars are doing because yeah. it's based on the stars and not on um, – Not the date. Calendar dates. Exactly. Right. Right. Uh, so, so it has pagan roots, pagan meaning um, beliefs that worship nature. Um, they would include a Yule log, and so they would get a live tree from the forest and bring it into their home. And the idea is that the woodland spirits that were in it, the, the wood energies, mm-hmm. um, would have a warm place to live um, for the cold months. And then they would burn that Yule log. Uh, and that was like the the Yule celebration. And then depending on the culture, some of them, that would be the 12-day feast or the, the feast of the days. Um, they would eat as long as the Yule log was burning. So depending on how long and wide mm. that Yule log was, was how long their fire would go for. And so while the fire was burning, they would celebrate and party and drink all of their mead because at this point, you know, their um, fermented beverages were like just about ready because from all the summer, right, it's like the timing is perfect. So they'd be partying and they'd be eating and they'd be burning this fire and sharing stories and then once the yule log was out then that would be the end of the celebration that reminds me so much of the celebration of lights for hanukkah do you oh yeah yeah. with the eight days and well that was well what happened is they were building something and i don't know enough about um judaic history to really really know but i know that they were building something and they only had enough oil in their lamp 
lantern or lamp to survive one night mm-hmm. with the light, but it lasted for eight nights. Mm-hmm. And that was seen as a miracle. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's the Festival of Lights. So and that's why there's eight days to Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. Which again ties to the coming of the light, right? Yeah. Of this season. Like all of it's timed so similarly together. And yeah. then what do we do with a Christmas tree? We hang lights on it. Yeah. You know, we sit by the fire, we hang lights all over our houses. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, classically, we would hang, uh, 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 not lemon, but I guess, yes, lemon citrus slices on the tree to represent the sun mm. to come back. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's there's always, when you look behind something, there's always that root of how that got started. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of the times connected to celestial things. Yeah. And you'll see that as we go through, as we go through this year, we're going to be talking about all of these things that so beautifully fit together. Yeah. I had also read um this it was not recently when I was doing this research but it was a while ago when I first started digging into the roots of Christmas aside from the the Christian beliefs and I had read about like the tinsel on trees came from like we would put sparkly things on trees to represent the semen like the sparkling semen because oh. that's like you know the the birth of the next phase the birth of you know the next year to come um and like the star child, depending on if you're talking about um, Jesus being born or in like the wheel of the year tradition, whether it's the god or goddess being born. And so it's the fertility of, you know, the gods and goddesses, uh, you know, semen just splashing everywhere <laughs> on the tree. And also to holly. So holly berries are white. And that is also another symbol of the white purity and the fertility of semen. When do they turn white? I don't know. That's what that's what Google said. Was that they're are they not always white? No, holly berries are red. Hang on. These are white. Or maybe they're both. Um, are there white holly berries? Most of the holly plants have separate male oh have separate male plants and female plants, and only the female plants will produce the berries. The berries are very showy, and on most varieties are red fruits, but some are black, yellow, or white. Oh, interesting. So maybe it depends on the location that there are white berries, and it might even be like their stage. Like, what stage are they white? Yeah, it could be at the beginning, and it could be at the end. Uh huh. It's a great question. Or even some pale yellow too. It says. And they appear in autumn. Yeah. Have you ever seen holly bushes in the wild? No. I have. Like the first time this year. It was crazy. Like like in my head, I always thought of them as very, you planted them with meaning. Like some of the things that we see and like up here in the zone that we're in, I don't think about them being wild anywhere else because they wouldn't survive in our zone. But in North Carolina, um, they are wild. In North Carolina, and that's just crazy to me. That's yeah. crazy to me. But then their leaves stay green all through winter. Yes. So, um, and that also it's similar to uh, evergreens, and that's why we put evergreens in our tree because mm-hmm. it's a symbol of this everlasting life. In the dead of winter, when all of the plants have lost their leaves, we've got these things that are still green and vibrant and full of life. So, one of the most popular celebrations. Well, I don't know if I would call it a celebration, although I'm sure that they party there. But one of the most known astrological events. That that happen for solstice or the spaces, the sacred space for it is Stonehenge. Stonehenge was built in such a way that on the solstice, the sun comes up and in between some of the stones. And if you go and you look at, you know, if you search it, you're going to find the trajectory and how it happens. And it is a celebration to gather at Stonehenge and watch the sunrise and or sunset to see the sun so specifically Hmm. framed like Mm -hmm. think about this we still don't truly truly know why some of these big monoliths were built or how they built them or freaking how 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 did they build that Mm -hmm. like even in our speculation it's just so unfathomable because these things were just so massive and so heavy and there was such specific and precise like if you think about the three pyramids they mirror the stars almost to a t yeah like how crazy is that yeah that is just well, mind-blowing. And how big they are like to have planned that in advance oh my gosh like with such detail yeah and how many men like you had to coordinate together like you know i think about just the 45 people working in my like retail space and how that's like hurting cats and like oh my gosh (laughs) having that many you know men without any actual electricity like moving these giant blocks like yeah 
They, yeah, the technology that they must have had that we are not aware of. So with um, Yule and Christmas, uh, okay, so I – the thing that speaks to me um, on like a really deep visceral level is the birth of the star child. So in Christianity, we have the birth of Christ. Oh, okay, here's the side note um, about the birth of Christ. We didn't celebrate Christmas as the birth of Christ mm. until the, I think it's the third century. So like 200 AD um, after Christ had, had been born and died. Um, and before then, what the Christians celebrated more so as their biggest holiday was Easter, which was the resurrection of Christ. And so um, it was it Pope Julius. Uh, ooh, I don't remember who. Um, but one of the popes decided that December 25th would be the day that we would celebrate Christ's birth. And it is hypothesized that he chose this because it aligned so closely to the winter solstice and to Yule. So it was already being celebrated by the pagans. So it'd be really easy to just hop on all of that celebration and absorb some of it because they wanted to, you know, transfer the beliefs over into this new this new way of thinking um, with Christ. And so so in Christmas, you have the star child is born, which is Jesus. And also just like side note, so <laughs> the three wise men bringing frankincense, myrrh, and gold. So I didn't know this. So gold was brought to represent the, his kingship on earth. Uh, frankincense was an incense, which was um, intended to symbolize the deity. Um, so like the God aspect. Um, and then gold was the the kingship of earth aspect. And then the myrrh is a oil that they use for embalming to represent the death. So like life after death and this mm. like eternal aspect. And ha it is the most witchy of all witchy things yeah. for these men to bring something. Okay, this is going to represent the spirit. This is going to represent death. This is going to represent the earth. Yeah. It's like, and to think about, um, you know, the religious people that – have so much fear in their hearts that, you know, that they think that witchcraft is like Satan worshiping when literally everything they do is basically witchcraft anyways. Everything. When I think of the, um, you know, the Catholic priests with the censer, you know, with the big ball of incense and he's like shaking cleansing it around. Cleansing everyone. Dude, cleansing. And also it's supposed to like represent, you know, it, um, everything dissolving into the ether and connecting to the non-physical world. Like the shit is exactly the same. The exact same. They have altars. I mean, come they take on. in the body of Christ, dude. Yeah, and the blood of the Christ. Blood of Christ that is witchy same. shit. <laughs> and you know, Easter is the celebration of fertility. The eggs are not what the modern day acceptance of egg eggs aren't just pretty things that we decorate and we hide and mm -hmm. find. Right, has to do with the fertility, dirty, the sexy things. Yeah, <laughs> all the things. Yeah, okay. I told my youngest that the other day, and she goes. Like, I didn't tell her dirty, sexy things, but right. I told her that, you know, Easter is a celebration rooted in pagan ideas. A boning. Yeah. Well, I didn't tell her boning, <laughs> but, but, Let me you know, to I told, well, I told her, I said, I said the eggs, you know, the, the, the rabbits are a representation of fertility because they reproduce so quickly. And the eggs are the eggs that are inside of a woman. Like, that's like, and women were absolutely venerated. Mm -hmm. Like, they were so celebrated. Yeah. And she like, and when the knowledge hit her, she was just kind of like, "Oh my gosh, no. like what? Yeah, yeah." Because we worship a patriarchal religion of. It, to me, it's dick worshiping. If we're going to worship father and son instead of goddess and, you know, like the feminine aspect of fertility and eggs, it's like, nope, it's father and son, son's resurrected. And also we're going to put him on a cross, which is like pretty phallic in nature. It's like worshiping dicks on sticks, literally. <laughs> oh, I fucking love it. <laughs> That was perfect. Well said. Okay, so we've got the um, three wise witch men. We'll call them warlocks. <laughs> the three warlocks. <laughs> warlocks aren't real. We'll just, I like the witch men. Okay, so then they bring um, their star child. So the star child is born. Okay, so that's that's Christianity. And, and the star child being born is representative of all of what is possible and new to come in, in the future cycle of whether it's the wheel of the year or whether it's the, um, the solar cycle, right, from, from January on. It's this um, this promise of something saving us. 
Um, okay, so that's Christianity. Then if you look at pagan wheel of the year, so traditionally you've got a god and a goddess, and in at Yule, at the winter solstice, is when she births the the god. Um, whether it's the green man or the great horn god, you have this masculine counterpart being brought into the world. And then as the wheel of the year moves, as you cycle into um, spring and summer, so he gets older and then they become lovers. It's like kind of weird how he she's like births this child and then they become lovers, but that's just what happens. And then at the end of the wheel of the year, he dies and then he's, he's reborn again. Um, so it's like the the mirrors between not only Christianity and the Wheel of the Year, but then in Dianic tradition, you have so Dianic being pagan that doesn't include the god, doesn't include the masculine. It is feminine only. And it's feminine only because the male is included in it. It's kind of like how the word male is in female. There's there's no real separation. All of it can be contained within the feminine. And so in the Dianic tradition, it is the feminine aspect, the crone, the old hag is passing on. So she's no longer in her physical body. She turns to bone and dust and moves through the underworld and then is ready to be reborn as the maiden, as the the young, vibrant youth again the the feminine youth but in between there's this liminal space where she is reborn as spirit before she is reborn as body and so in the diana tradition it is the star child um that is born which is the feminine spirit reborn before the feminine embodiment of the maiden is born at in bulk in february mm. so it's like Star child is born. So then if we were to take all of the the religious and spiritual layers off of it, and if we just take like what is the symbolism and what we can sink into in our own heart space, it's like, okay, so all of everything of this year is done. And all of like the past years is done and it's coming to a close. It's, you know, has it's going through this um process of like decaying and turning back into the earth just like the leaves are falling from the trees or have fallen from the trees and then it's the opportunity for something new to be born this new infinite potential of mysticism and you know mastery and i want to say like idyllic state Mm. but it's really just pure potential this 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 seed of pure potential is born and it fits in perfect alignment with like you know new year's resolutions right we yeah. like have the best of intentions and we're like we're gonna get all of our shit together and this like new all of what is gone is gone and then we have this opportunity to look to the to the future yeah. but it's also encased in this season of you know of darkness and rest and so you do it like lovingly and tenderly and yeah. it doesn't have the same like fire and gumption and action that like you know something in the summertime would when you have all this heat and dynamic energy yeah. it's like softer and um you know like like a baby in a manger all like you know wrapped up and you you have to do it in a nurturing type of way not in a um like exhaustive and aggressive type of way yeah softly planting the seeds, patting the ground, knowing that it will be taken care of and that there's no way you could when I think of like the fire dynamic energy of the summer, it's like you planning, you crossing things off a list. And I feel like this energy is more, um, it's more trusting and it's more like not in my hands. And it's just like the very beginning tendrils of manifestation where there's no limits yet. It just is like, yeah, that's so beautifully described, Sam. So beautifully. Thank you. Wonderful. <laughs> I went on a, a a loop there with the the warlocks for a minute, but we came back. <laughs> and it is weird to think about, like when you first hear it, the woman giving birth and then becoming lovers, but it's not her at the same time as well because she's been rebirthed to a new. Yeah. When you th- when you really think about it, mm-hmm. and this is definitely. The winter time is meant for a time of rest, of slower pacing, of being more aware of everything and then knowing that there will become there will come a time when it's time to start the heavy planning of things and the execution of things. But this is definitely the time of just surrender. Yeah. It's the surrender. The crone has been waiting all year to take us into her arms and she just wants us to rest. Yes. Yeah, the the whole this whole half of the year is, you know, we're 
we're essentially chasing darkness. Everything is getting darker and darker and darker. And it's like this, this trajectory of maximum darkness. And this is the apex of darkness. Mm. And from here on out, it's just going to get lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. Yeah. So that's completely worth celebrating. 100%. That yes. we've, we've made this huge transition halfway around the circle. Mm. Honoring the darkness as a creative container, as the giver of life and the giver of like literally everything coming up out of the void instead of lasering focus on on the light. So then let me ask you, Sam, how are you going to celebrate? Um, <laughs> so I... I made a whole bunch of ornaments this year, handmade ornaments, some with the help of you at the lovely Solstice Celebration Workshop. Um, And, okay, (laughs) so I have to disclose. So, okay, I'm going to go back a few, a few, a lot of paces. Um, I was, I... For several years, I've held on to a lot of resentment um, because I had some handmade ornaments that I really, really love that I made um, when I was with my partner at the time, who is now my ex. And we were together for 10 years. And so, you know, there was like lots and lots of time to have like created this um this incredible collection of ornaments and then you know we separated this was what three four years ago and uh and I didn't want to put up a Christmas tree because I was like no thank you I'm fine like you can do that so I gave him a lot of the ornaments all the ornaments and then I because it just was easier just like cut it it's fine you want to do it you can do it great and then over the years I had felt a lot of resentment because I wanted them back and because some of them were beautiful like I had these incredible (laughs) these incredible mushrooms that I made out of female clay and they looked like real like super whimsical and there was like eight different types of mushrooms and some of them were like real fat and chubby and some of them were like real dainty and silly and um yeah, and I just put my heart and soul into these creations that I hung on the tree, and I only got to see them every once in a while. Even though I had given them to them, I had held on to whatever the shadow and darkness was about it, and I had asked for some of them back. And also, my thought was, why would this creep want these things on his tree that I made? Like, that's yeah. a little bit weird. Like, you should want to give them back to me. And he – I had texted him, and he had responded, they've either been lost or broken. There's nothing to give what? back. Yeah, so then I was super salty. This was last year. Um, and then <laughs> – uh, and so you can imagine all of like the story and all of the emotion that I've added towards that, like in the time. And so then I was like, this year I'm going to make my own and I'm like going to release all of this anger that I have, this like nonsense anger that's not serving anybody for absolutely no reason. <laughs> and I'm also too, my daughter is sick of, I try not to complain, um, about her father at all but at the same time it's like my heart wants these things that I made. And so she's probably very sick of hearing me complain about him, but in, in my plans to make drums um, yesterday, I went into my attic to get these giant bins so that I could <laughs> so that I could soak the rawhides in these really large Rubbermaid bins, and I found a bin of all of my Christmas ornaments. <gasps> oh my god! I know that he literally didn't even have. <laughs> <laughs> So then, what an endorphin rush, dude! So I was in the attic, and I had asked my my partner to help me get the things out of the attic because it's like you know this funny folding ladder that's really narrow, and I was gonna dig this big forty gallon Rubbermaid, you know, bin down this like really narrow hole in the ceiling, and so I was gonna be in the attic, and I was gonna hand it to him and the ladder and I just start freaking out because I realized like not only all the story I've created all of the anger all of this energy wasted when I had the solution at my fingertips the entire time like what a crazy person <laughs> not that I'm crazy but I mean in a in a way right just recognizing um the the barriers that I put in my own way and like suffering is entirely in my own hands and so I'm like losing my shit in the attic and my partner's like what what and I can't even formulate into words because it's like you know three years of resentment just like poof dissolved like holy shit that was so easy (laughs) (laughs) yeah and he was like i was wondering what you were losing your marbles about up there and i was like yeah no like everything my whole world crumbled (laughs) but it did obviously did a crumble it like came back together but it was like this this um this false reality crumbled it's like, man, 
Every time I think that I've like done so much work, it's like, no, girl. No. Yes, yes. <laughs> Kick it back or not. <laughs> that is that's the gift of the shadow. Yes, yes, yes. So you're gonna decorate with those? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. I'm super pumped. So I'll decorate with those. Um and we don't have a tree yet, but I do have a bunch of sticks. I collect sticks on the regular. So my plan was to put a bunch of nails in some sticks and plant the sticks so that I could have lots of space to hang all my beautiful ornaments um, and then take the ornaments off and then burn the sticks. Beautiful. That's my current plan. I don't know how it's going to go. <laughs> um, but I would also love to, I I had the idea of, um, or was inspired of the idea of keeping a candle burning all night long. Mm. So in, in recognition and like, you know, hope and excitement and reverence for the light that it's coming is you burn a candle from the beginning of like the, well, the solstice, I guess, technically is like a moment in time, right? Because it's like the very midpoint or yeah. the, the apex point rather. But you burn a candle for whatever the 24 hour period from from the whole day that would be the solstice to recognize the darkness turning into light that's beautiful yeah that that sounds like what i'll do too okay did you have um, any i love burning candles yeah um i didn't have any one thing in particular that i was going to do um definitely candles were going to be involved and there could be, depending on how my date, well, the solstice evening, the actual solstice evening, I will be um, spending in a socially distanced circle with um, women who need a break from their family, and as do I. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's it's usually our thing to get together around the season, and we're going to be responsible and smart about the things. Um, it's, it's one of the gatherings that I look forward to. So that will be on the actual solstice. And we are going to pay reverence to the moon. Because mm-hmm. um, she's going to be at a very particular station. That's important for us to the minute things mm-hmm. that we're learning now that haven't been passed down to us because that knowledge was lost in the transition of history. But I do feel more and more of my adult life, and as definitely as my children grow older, there won't be the focus on Christmas the way it classically is because uh-huh. it doesn't align with what I with what I feel mm-hmm. and solstice. Um, slash Yule is very much in my bones. Mm-hmm. It just feels right. It feels like coming home to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and um, it just reminded me with the candles. The Advent. Okay. Can we just talk about Advent candles yeah, for a second? Sure. So I didn't know about Advent candles but uh, or Advent wreaths. Um, but – Okay, so wreaths, first of all, are a circle which represent, uh, first of all, a very feminine shape and like the wholeness and connectedness of things. Mm-hmm. So if you hang a wreath on your door or if you put it horizontally on a table like you would for an an, ad, an advent wreath, and then they either have four or five candles. And if there's five candles, one is considered like the Christ candle that you light the others with. But then the other four candles are peace, hope, love. What is it? Joy? Are, the, are those the candles that are colorful, like each one's a different color? No. Or they're like pink and purple or something like that? I think traditionally they're like white. Okay. But is another – I had a, a friend post, um, a very beautiful friend who um, loves the <laughs> – the ways of worshiping dicks. No, that's not true. <laughs> A very lovely friend who um, aligns themselves with the Christian religion and posted this beautiful picture of her Advent wreath with the Advent calendar, not calendars, the Advent candles on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I looked into it. Yeah. And so you light a candle that represents peace and then you light a candle that represents hope. That sounds very witchy to me. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. I didn't want to tell her she was low-key a witch, but I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Of course it's fine. Yeah. Uh, it just yes. it just makes me giggle. It does. Yes. You know, I don't think I I'd, I'd known about the advent calendar, but I don't know. Like I've seen those, the wreaths with and then the candles and things like that, but I don't know if I ever knew that that's what they were named. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and I think it's tied to uh baby Jesus bringing those things. Oh. Bringing hope and love and peace. Interesting. Uh-huh. I could be wrong. I'm not the most christian christian yeah i'm sure someone will let us know if we're wrong <laughs> thank you yes yes let us know we're all learning yeah for like, sure um i think it's ram dasi said we're all just trying to walk each other home so right. and we can all learn from one another it doesn't mean that you know that's in our alignment and that's perfectly fine right because what works for you doesn't work for me and vice versa mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that we can't be like full of like a random knowledge or knowledge that makes us feel full 
and happy. Well, I think the more we know about the other paths people are walking, the more we can see the mirror, the more we can see these parallel lines that we're all walking together. They all mean the same thing and we're all trying to feel the same thing. We just coat them with different words and with different sets of rules and different ceremonies and rituals. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it's all the same. It is. It really is. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel complete? Um, no, I want to say f- I want to say a few more things about the darkness yeah, and winter. Please. With winter and things ending their life cycle, you know, plants and um, plants and such, it's it's also a time of release, acknowledging what no longer serves or what doesn't need to make it through the winter. So, in like practically speaking, it could be like decluttering your home or throwing you know some things out that don't need to be in your space or that don't bring your joy, um, and resting in the space in between. One of the one of the words of wisdom of Yule that I came upon was resting in the silence. So speaking less and then listening more mm. felt like really good and uh, timely advice, at least for myself. Paying attention to things like having your hands around a warm cup of tea and the sound of crackling fire and mm. the simple pleasures when when the world isn't active anymore. Like, you know, how do you how do you slow down to match the pace of the earth and nature in her cycles right now? Because yeah. that's when you'll be the most fulfilled. Because yeah. we're in rhythm with her anyways. So if we're living in this hustle and bustle of consumerism and buying gifts and wrapping presents and, you know, chugging down peppermint mocha, venti lattes or whatever, it's like we're in, we're not in alignment with the resting and softening that is happening around us, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to draw a parallel with with that and with the um so the idea that we live in a linear time frame. I know our our minds can't necessarily understand the concept that before, here and after, they're all happening at the same time. Everything is cyclical. Mm. Everything is turning and the way in the way that we celebrate the year because it's the natural rhythms of the year is the same thing when you look at the lunar aspect of things. There's a time of darkness, there's a time of rest, there's a time of decluttering to recognize like in the waning moon as our full moon is going away and we're leading into a new moon that's the time when we're trying to realize and recognize for us to find our full our our intentions our wants our needs our desires for them to find that fullness and to be real and in our lives the way that we want them to um we have to figure out what we have to let go mm-hmm. like the the getting rid of that clutter you want a more peaceful life will having less things add to that and then, you know, just like, just like we were describing earlier in the quickening of the season in the springtime and then the heat of the summertime where action is happening, happening, happening. The same thing with a lunar cycle. You, you've got that, that beginning, that, that planted seed and then the quickening as the wax, the planted seed under the new moon, the, um, quickening under the waxing moon, the fullness and that action, action, action in the full moon. And then that also has a parallel line to bleeding bodies as well. Mm. Our bodies go through seasons in a single month yeah and that's so important for us to realize that any bleeding body is going to they have to find rest in their winter which is their time of bleeding yeah and then they come back and they come back into the quickening of just after bleeding and our bodies haven't quite ovulated and then the ovulation um everything that happens inside and even if you're not a bleeding body your body is following the lunar cycle Mm -hmm. like it is Mm mm-hmm it, it, and it's so amazing when you start to track yourself in the lunar cycle, if you don't bleed or if you're no longer bleeding in the cycles of where you are at in um, your menstruation cycle, like it's cyclical and it keeps going into that. Now, you might not be at 28 days like the lunar cycle. You might be more of 32. And I was actually just talking about this in my um, my lunar um, offering that we have in Patreon um, that there's a there's a postulation that the reason why women aren't having um more on point 28 day cycles is because we've moved away from the light of the moon and we are in artificial light so much our bodies don't recognize that and that's a big deal like i'm not saying that that's is what it is but that is that is a huge factor in it because we're not resting at night when we need to because we've got you know lights to read uh, or lights on to be able to read a book or we're scrolling or we're watching tv and i'm not saying that those are bad things it's living with that dichotomy of Mm -hmm. the 
um, comfort of having light whenever you want it, but then our bodies not recognizing and not knowing how to to live in that cyclical lifestyle. So we've got to find that that balance, and it's and it's literally a lifetime of finding that balance yeah. because what works for you five years ago might not work for you today. And, you know, five years in the future, it might be a completely different scenario, but everything is cyclical. Yeah. Well, and to speak to that with um, not only with the light, the artificial light and stuff knocking us off our schedules, we don't revere rest the same way that we revere action and success and getting things done, right? Because that if you were to rest, if you were to take time for yourself and self-care, sometimes that that can be perceived as, you know, either being lazy or being selfish or all these other things that are not generally positive qualities. So then, and we tend to not want to spend time in the darkness and resting. Yeah. And with with Yule and winter solstice, when we think about adding joy and happiness and fulfillment to our lives, I think the general initial rule of thumb is like, what can I add that will make me happy? But in this time oh. especially, it's like happiness and joy and fulfillment is not an additive process. It is what is not serving you that you can remove. What can you yeah. take away? Like, let's really sit in that void space, the, the vacuum of – uh, well, of space and of like potential of the things that don't serve, remove them so that there's less clutter. Yeah. Yeah. Winter solstice is fertile darkness. That's, that's how I feel about it. Mm. That's a great, great title to give it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is a great title to give it. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I was just thinking in general. Yeah. That's beautiful. Do you feel complete? I feel I feel complete now, too. Yes. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you more, please. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. You can find more from your sisters on Patreon. We've got four tiers of Shakti power to choose from with all sorts of Rebel Goddess Reclamation content, as well as our website, rebelgoddessreclamation.com, where you'll find seasonal events, circle leader mentorships, and drum birthing workshop circles. You can also support us individually with our solo endeavors. Sarah's website, theartofwildpleasure.com, is your go-to for all your Red Sisters offerings, workshops, trainings, sacred menarch celebrations, mother roaster services, moon-blessed apothecary items like bath salts, candles, intention oils, and so much more. You can see what Sam, your dark sister, is up to at matmotives.com. Matte Motives are chakra-based vinyl decals to use as focal points on your yoga mat, laptop, or wherever, serving as a reminder to rest your awareness on the qualities you want to cultivate. A third of all proceeds are donated to a nonprofit of your choosing at checkout. On the website, you can also find recorded breathwork practices, along with lots of other subtle yoga workshops and trainings. Thanks again, Wild Ones, for playing and working with the goddess right alongside us. Yes, thank you. More please.